Clustered conversations. Clustered conversations. By Weka. Hi, and welcome to Clustered Conversations. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And we're here with uh, Jacob Farmer from uh, Starfish. And we're trying to get an understanding of how we all work together and uh, where we are in the industry these days. And why are so. we talking about ocean creatures? I thought this <laughs> we're, we're maritime now. Um, well, Josh, the, the name Starfish, this is a little geeky, but it comes from Star FS. It's kind of like the wild card, be anything it wants to be uh, file system namespace, except that it's not actually a file system. I get it. So you, you can tune a file system, but you can't tune a fish. Oh, very clever. Wow, that was terrible. <laughs> wow. wow. That's an old, old, old Unix joke. <laughs> it was at the bottom of a man page for TuneFS. So essentially like asterisk FFS. Yes. So uh, how'd you get into storage and, and working on an asterisk file system or a, star, a starfish as it is? How'd you get here where you're at now? Well, so um, Bob, I've been uh, working in the storage industry for a little over 30 plus years um, as integrator sales consulting for all things um, interesting in storage. And I've, I've always, I've always uh, prided myself on, on finding the newest technologies and uh, matching up new technology with early adopter customers. So most of my client base are companies that are on the cutting edge, just doing extraordinary things, with storage consumption. And wherever I would go, my clients would be like, hey, Jacob, check out this really cool software we built internally to manage our files because, you know, commercial products just don't meet our incredibly unique needs. And, and they're right. There were no commercial products that met their needs. But what was interesting was that everybody who would show me their homegrown software, you know, more or less wrote the exact same software for their incredibly unique needs. <laughs> and that tipped me off that there is, in fact, a, a big set of common denominator problems that aren't being solved at the at the upper end of scale and complexity. So um, I thought, you know, gee, you know, maybe I'll go try to solve this. I, I'd always wanted to make a product of my own, and maybe this is my opportunity. Cool. Uh, I've played with your product quite a bit. Uh, we did some integration testing, got, I think, two years ago, and got some great results as far as being able to uh, scan the file system and enumerate everything, pull the data in. Then I played with some of the migration tools that are available to move data from one point to another. I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty freaking amazing, actually. Uh, yeah, so I mean... It's definitely come a long way since the last time I used it, which was... All right, Josh, you were an early, early customer. Yeah, so we've been at this for a little over 10 years. You know, this became originally... This was a, um, this, this was a passion project, um, mostly just to try to solve a problem for a, a community of users that I worked with, um, uh, predominantly in the life sciences, but with a couple of outliers in animation rendering and in um, semiconductor. Uh, basically, you know, again, I found everywhere I went, everybody had the same problems. They might use different language to describe the problem. Um, but then, you know, when, when you ask, when, when you kind of ask anybody in, in the high-end file system world, what, what do you want? You know, they all want a seamless experience for their users, but they want the files stored, you know, on the right tier with the right performance and the right reliability and the right, the right everything that they need. And, you know, you guys at Weka have come forth with a really interesting way of doing that, but it's also very difficult to be the one file system that meets all the needs in an organization. So there's, there's going to be a diversity of storage devices and it wouldn't it be nice if they could all be seamlessly uh, federated together. Now that's that's the um, the pie in the sky dream, and I'm the party pooper that goes, yeah, you're never going to get that. You know, you're not going to get a seamless universal experience because 
you know, there's always innovation going on in storage. The high-end shops are always going to be adopting something new. And then how would you integrate it? Like if you integrated an inline, in the data path, file system virtualization solution, and let's say you're doing great in the marketplace, and then like this company Weka.io comes out of nowhere, and Weka has this amazing performance characteristics, and they use a, a native client that allows them to navigate the storage devices with, you know, with super low latency and super high resiliency, right? Well, how would an inline storage virtualizer work with you? Like it wouldn't. And immediately you'd chuck that thing and you'd go buy yourself a Weka and give up on the dream. So that's just one example. The, you know, the other example, of course, is S3 is a different permission model than POSIX and a different permission model than POSIX with ACLs or SMB. So, so it's really, there's never going to be like one file system to rule them all. And then the question is, if, if you're not going to be able to get seamless, <laughs> you know, how do you manage the seams? So, so our vision was to build an out of the data path, universal file system namespace, you know, where it's not really a file system, it's application software, but it performs the role of the namespace. And, um, uh, and in order to do that, the very first challenge is that we have to be able to synchronize the metadata of a file system with, um, with an external application. So, so that's the journey that we've been on. It's 10 years. We're nowhere near it, the, the end of it, right? So what do we have on the truck today? You know, today we have a really awesome system for discovering what's in your file systems. And then, you know, parenthetically, we have the ability to do something with those discoveries. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been working on file systems a long time as well. And one of the things that I always talk about is uh, that one picture of grandma that you put on your file share doesn't cost much, but the 300 snapshots, 4,000 backups, replication to a secondary site, to a third site, it starts to add up as far as corporate uh, uh, things. And deduplication help with that, but still, it'd be nice to be able to enumerate where that data is, how it's being copied, wh you know, where it sits, if it's on the right tier. And if I need to get rid of it, right? Do you actually need that same copy from three years ago that you haven't touched in two and a half years? Like, yeah, I mean, a killer use case for us is, is what we've been calling ROT cleanup, where ROT stands for redundant, obsolete, and trivial. So it's all that crap you shouldn't be spending money to store. And, you know, it's, it's pretty remarkable what we find when we, go, when we go in there. So, you know, our software creates a big index of the files. You can then carve up chunks of namespace and hand it to the appropriate stakeholders so that they can uh, slice and dice and sort through those files. And, you know, they can hone in on their duplicates and on their old stuff and on their file type scratch files and all that other stuff. Um, you know, then we make it easy for them to enumerate or to identify, you know, what can be either deleted or, or sent off to some archival storage device. But, you know, that's just kind of like one variation of the what the heck is all this stuff problem you know like fundamentally you'd like to know hey how do these files relate back to our business or our science yeah you can take that enumerated set of data and look at it and be able to search on uh you know what's the oldest what's the biggest who's the my biggest consumer of storage maybe even uh, set up a chargeback routine based on it right Oh, yeah. I mean, again, what you do with the database, you know, I kind of ask everybody, you know, if you want to imagine what Starfish could do, do for you, you know, first, just imagine if you had a sideband database of your file system. So instead of running find statements, you know, you could issue SQL queries. And even better, if you didn't have to know SQL, you know, you have a simple uh, command line or API or user interface that lets you query your file system. 
So Jacob, like with, um, I mean, having been kind of an early user for, for Starfish kind of back in the day, what's it like almost six years ago now, I think is when the, the team that I was supporting was, was starting to work with you guys to kind of get things uh, in, in a really useful state for them. Um, like how has, like how, how, how far has, Star, has Starfish come in? Like one of my kind of real interesting thoughts, maybe it's not interesting, but sort of nitty gritty nuts and bolts kind of thoughts is um, like how fast does Starfish actually go through and scan a namespace? Like say you have, you know, 10,000 directories, you know, million files each or, or some other, you know, egregious level of scale sort of thing. Like how fast does Starfish go through and actually produce a result that is then useful, useful to kind of peruse through and, and yeah, sure. Data. So, I mean, our whole, our whole reason for being is that we, we're going to, we have to scan file systems as fast as possible. Um, be, because if in order to, uh, the longer we take to scan the, the more use cases we're not relevant for, right? Like if it takes a month to scan we're relevant for almost nothing. Um, so we, we put tremendous amounts of uh, engineering work into scanning fast, ingesting fast, um, et cetera. So the, the how long does it take really depends so much on the file system and the shape of the, of the directory trees. So on a file system like Weka, you know, you guys give up tens of thousands of records per second. We can fly through a Weka file system like nobody's business. And I think using your native client, um, we can parallelize even greater. Like we can, we can scan from multiple scanners if necessary, divvying up the file system, running multiple threads on each. Um, now, getting all that metadata is one thing. We then have to ingest it, right? So in Starfish, we're, we're synchronizing that, your file system with our database, but we're also maintaining the history of the file system over time as a historical record in the database. So there's a lot of ingest work that has to go on. And one of the things we just discovered through lots of trial and error was to decouple scanning from ingesting. So we scan at one rate, we ingest at another. Sometimes one or the other of those processes is the bottleneck. And a lot of the engineering work we've been doing over time is just to, um, to, to get better, stronger, and faster. But it's otherwise hard to quantify. I mean, it's, it's safe to say that, like, w we work fine in file systems with multiple billions of files. You know, if you have three, four, five, ten billion files, um, you're definitely in scope for us. When we get much bigger than that, we might start looking at breaking up into multi multiple systems. The, like multiple separate installations of, of Starfish? So you'd have kind of a, a scanner for subsets of... Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a judgment call. Like, you, you know, you look at how fast the environment's growing. You look at kind of the trajectory for hardware getting better over time. And at some point we say, hey, is there a real value in having more than 20 billion files in a single system? Now we have federated capabilities for reporting across multiple systems. So, you know, you, you still might want your single pane of glass from a reporting and analytics standpoint, but from a file system management and automation standpoint, it might be just fine to break it up into more discrete units. Cool. Uh, so I know you guys also do um, data copy and migration and, and movement as well as part of uh, through policy-based engines. So could you talk to a little bit about that as well? Yeah, so um, you, you know, I'm kind of a purist when it comes to trying to set expectations. So I try not to describe Starfish as a policy engine. Um, you know, in in storage management, almost everything works in batches, and that's fine. So the right way to think of it is that we've taken the old paradigm, and and I think paradigm is even too strong of a word, mm -hmm. of the fine statement, the CSV, and the script. 
right? So a find statement is a crude kind of discovery. I'm looking for a bunch of files. Let's go find them. Um, I stage them in the CSV. That's a crude form of orchestration. And then I, I execute some business logic in my script. And that's the way everything was done in storage management forever. You know, that's the way right. even backup software worked that way. So you, you fast forward to today, and when you have billions of files and massive file systems, you know, the find statement would take too long. The result set would be too large for the script to run reliably or quickly. But Starfish provides kind of all the tooling that modernizes find CSV script, right? So our find statement is a query against the database. It can query your entire file environment or very specific subsets. It's enhanced by all kinds of metadata, both in the form of tags and key value pairs. Um, so it, it's a really powerful find statement. Um, the CSV is our jobs engine, which takes that result set and parses it out. And then the script basically is your business logic, you know, gets rendered as a job in Starfish so that it runs in parallel across as many servers and threads as it needs to um, in an orchestrated way with all kinds of logging and error handling. So whatever you want to do, copy, move, delete, calculate hashes, extract metadata from files, you know, open up file contents and feed it to some deep learning algorithm, whatever you want to do, you can orchestrate that in Starfish. So, I mean, I'm sure we got a couple of customers that are in common currently. I mean, they get, they've been using Starfish to uh, keep track of where their data goes and how it goes there on Weka, you know, because they, they have finite space on the Weka cluster because they haven't grown it yet. We'll work on that. Um, <laughs> and so they want to make sure they have the right data there at the right time. Uh, how is that working for you guys? Are you guys happy to work with us? Or are, we, are we a good partner with you? Um, you know, well, the, to... the great thing about Weka for, for our simple purposes is that it, it scans really, really, really fast. So uh, it's, <laughs> it's just a, a big win to be able to synchronize file system contents quickly. That's like one of the cool things you guys do. Um, there's another kind of esoteric cool thing you do. So one of the things we use Starfish for, um, which I don't market it as backup software. It sounds like sort of down market for us. Um, but Starfish makes for really great bespoke backup systems where we can use really specific logic to back up whichever files need to be backed up wherever they need to be backed up to and, um, and with um, enormous scale. And one of the really cool things about Weka is that you guys can serve as a super high speed ingest buffer for what's otherwise um, a low cost S3 bucket. And you have this crazy snapshot engine that would allow us to preserve all kinds of version history. So um, believe it or not, like Weka makes for a really interesting backup target um, for Starfish. I know, I know that's probably a little insulting uh, for no, you guys. Actually, it's, no, no, actually. It's actually one of those weird uh, workloads that we, we know we can do. It's just, uh, it's such a weird market, right? The, there's a lot of backup targets out there that talk about being flash backup targets. And it's kind of hard to get into that uh, we don't want to get lumped in there, but we can do it really well. Yeah, and a place where it makes where it gets kind of interesting. So w one of the things that Starfish enables that's just really you know conventional wisdom says it's hard to do, is we're able to synchronize the contents of really really large file systems that are from disparate vendors, right? So the old tool of the trade was rsync, and uh, they got to a certain scale at which rsync just couldn't work reliably. Um, and then everyone gave up on that. They started buying file systems that have integrated snapshots and replication. So in Starfish, we're able to do the discovery of the file system and compare it to another file system at really, really large scale, you know, way, way, way bigger than what's possible in our sync. And then we have 
um, as many data movers running as many threads as you need. So for the most part, you know, we're, we're able to replicate giant file systems between each other. So whether I'm taking Weka and I'm backing it up to something else or I'm taking something else and I'm backing it up to Weka, you know, Starfish doesn't care. There's compelling reasons to do either or both. I think Josh and I might have a couple of workloads that we're interested in keeping two file systems fairly in sync. Would that be something we'd be able to do with Starfish, at least a one-way sync? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, again, what we're really good at doing is um, is comparing the state of two file systems, um, synchronizing them together again, like a massive R-sync would do. Um, and then all that could be colored with metadata, right? So there could be, you know, you could add a tag to a directory that says, I don't know, this one goes first, it's higher priority. Or, you know, we played some games with um, file sizes and thread counts where we might say, all right, look, we've got a, a, a narrow wire. Um, why don't we, you know, run the small files on really high thread count? We'll run the big files on, you know, on a smaller thread count. We'll really optimize what we're pushing through the wire. Like we can play all kinds of games like that really easily. Yeah, Josh, I mean, I think nice. you were, uh, we were discussing this a couple of days ago, something like this kind of mm -hmm. workflow. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, like having, or, or even going from kind of a hub spoke or, I mean, having, having a, a cache, so to speak of, uh, I guess one of the more interesting or challenging things to do in a, like distributed storage where you have maybe a centralized repository of information or data workflow, workflows, analyses, what have you. Um, and then being able to distribute that to edge sites or, or even like other offices, that sort of thing where you don't necessarily have to have like a full copy of, like a full, like hundred percent sync. Like it's not, it's not a one-to-one. -one. It's a, I, I know data exists in another location. I have this stub locally. And if a stub tries to get access to then pull in kind of the rest of the data, right? So you can have kind of that, that federated file system where you don't necessarily have to have a full copy. You don't have to have full size version of your storage system remotely as compared to the, like some of your, your master or, or source data. Yeah, yeah I think you're, you're on yeah. the right track. You're on the right track. Um, we, we try to avoid doing anything with stubbing or simlinking unless our client is real sure about how they want that to work. I think there's a lot of imagination in the industry about what a simlink can and can't do and what it takes to maintain it. So um, our, our preferred model is simply, you know, we crawl file systems, we synchronize their contents to the database, we query the database, and then we perform operations based on that, you know, rather than, than using a stub, we just use business logic. And then, um, uh, and then we uh, appropriately copy, move and delete files. Um, the, the extra trick we have, of course, is because we've got all this additional metadata in the system, we're, we're able to know a lot more than a file system knows, you know, we can programmatically deduce that metadata from either the contents of the files or the shape of the directory tree or ownership or whatever. Uh, you can also add tags via APIs. So a lot of times you might have um, a pipeline or a workflow that's adding tags um, as data is being processed. And then Starfish is able to take much more specific action. And are those tags just API driven directly into Starfish or is Starfish kind of pulling that from some, some logic as they're, as it's querying a, yeah, the way I like to describe it is as long as there's prevailing logic, there's a way to do it. Um, applying a tag is just an API call. You know, it's like, uh, 
you give it a path name and you give it the tag you want to add. And as long as you have permission to add the tag, you're, you're good to go. And the tag just goes in the database. It's not sitting in the file system or anything. So really any, any logic from anywhere could determine how you want to tag some. Cool. Yeah, we've been uh, talking about um, customers who have lots and lots of data on site and they want to run Weka in the cloud for, uh, you know, using the cloud resources for GPUs and servers and be able to explode out there, but they don't want to move all their data up there, right? We're trying to figure out how to move a certain subset of the data up um, to run the job up top, remove it, and then update it with the new data later on, right? So we're trying to figure that out for them. And I think we might have to talk to you a little bit more about this going forward. Um, I, I think this yeah. is one of those roll up the sleeve projects where what we find a lot when we, when we encounter use cases like this is that there's always somebody imagines a perfect solution. Like they're, you know, you dream up, how should it work? And then you, you shop around and you find out that, well, no one makes that. And there's probably a good reason. Like it's probably hard or can. it's, yeah, it's, or it's impossible. Um, right. But what we usually find happens is that we, we bring a client to the table. They're usually pretty technically proficient. You know, our, our typical clients used to working in complex environments and we reason it out like what, where do we get the best result from? And then what we almost always find is that it, it, it all comes down to uh, a discovery and an automation. <laughs> like these are the files I want to be in the cloud. Let's, these are the ones that are already there. Let's move these there. Um, and these are the ones that changed. And these are the ones that didn't change. And then, you know, we can also get clues from other systems. You know, there are software products in the market, for instance, that analyze the the dependencies, like what files were touched in an HPC run, or you know, that your client might even know that in their own uh, software workflows. Um, so they might be able to just communicate in some way back to Starfish which files they need to be processing on. And then we make sure that those are the files that are copied up to the cloud first. And so yeah, we're thinking about, um, I have another customer and I'm trying to figure out with S3, right? I know you guys work a little bit with S3 in, in uh, moving files up to object, if I remember right. Um, do you work the other way around, taking objects and moving them locally? Uh, yeah, we, we go bi-directionally. Th there are a lot of nuances in the way that people use S3. So I think when you look at... Uh, I don't like to call them our competitors, but when you look at other companies in the unstructured data management space, what most of them have tried to do is to productize something. Like our software right. does the following thing, it works this way, it works reliably, buy it and do it this way. And when you try to repurpose those products into some other complex workflow, there's usually some critical thing, decision they made that's not compatible with what you wanna do. So one of the biggest problems that we just have to deal with in life in our world is that um, in POSIX, you've got um, 4K characters to describe a path name. And in S3, you've got 1K. So a lot of times we have to do some path munging or we have to make some decisions about how paths are going to get represented. And that's, again, that's where smart people put their heads together and they say, what do we want to do? What do we need to do? What are the constraints? How should it work? And then almost always we're able to make it work. So there, there are absolutely use cases where we will take existing S3 buckets, we'll represent them as, as uh, file system content and do the same kinds of workflows that we would do if they were on POSIX files. Yeah, I mean, so you we, could take like an existing bucket and say, hopefully someone's done the, the appropriate thing and their, their data hygiene is good. They have tags on things like, you know, this, this group of objects all belong to project X and this other group belongs to project Y. 
Um, you could peruse that existing bucket based on. Yeah, see, see, so, so Josh, that's where that's where you're a smart guy using your imagination, and then the harsh reality will kick in, and we'll see that we almost <laughs> never see anybody using tags in S3 in a thoughtful or consistent way. And, um, you know, unfortunately, in Amazon's model, if you want to use those tags, you've got to pay transaction fees. And if you're at billion file scale, those transaction fees add up really, really significantly. So, um, so in fact, we, we don't always find that there's that metadata is being used thoughtfully in S3. I, ideally, there's decent enough data hygiene that there's uh, a system of prefixes um, on the S3 buckets that kind of resemble a hierarchical file system or um, or at least that breaks things up logically through the use of a prefix. And then we can I, make I that sort H-word, of, yeah, yeah we, we can then make that look and feel like file system content and integrate it thoughtfully with file-based workflows. Yeah, we uh, so we, we can tier data to an object store, like, you, you know, with Wacom. But the problem is a lot of our customers would like to be able to move data to an object store as that data. And we move it as an opaque object, right? It's a 64 meg uh, object that we write our data to in Weka block format. It's not in a file format. So th- I think this would be a nice uh, uh, marriage between the two of us to be able to move that data. We tier for for local or for uh, um, scale sense, but be able to move data independently to an object for use in some sort of, some other project, or vice versa, move data from an object into Weka onto POSIX so they can use it for a a, a a HPC job or an AI job or something that they're trying to do. Yeah, I mean, so this is ex- exactly that. So in, in Weka, you, you guys made a decision that you wanted to have um, a, a low cost tier for your super high performance flash. And it made sense to do it in S3 for a variety of different reasons. So to you, S3 is, is bits to put Weka file system spillover into. Right. And that's that's wonderful. You've come up with a really clean, tidy way to do it. You know, you, you can snapshot a massive file system into an S3 bucket and save it there forever. Right. With all kinds of version history. It's really cool. But again, pros and cons like using S3 and Weka has these super great advantages. The disadvantage, of course, is that you can't consume your objects directly from the object store. You have to rehydrate them back into Weka. So if the use case calls for files to be in a native format in an object store, then that's a great use case for Starfish because we can easily interface with a giant Weka system, pluck out the files that need to go into object, put them in whatever bucket you want to put them in with whatever the prevailing logic is, and then ensure that the, the key name on the S3 makes sense for the application, right? It's not just enough to say, I want this file to equal that object. If the file has 3,000 characters in its name and the object store only supports, you know, 1,000 or so, you're going to have to do something to make that work. And there again, we all put our heads together and we go, all right, how should it work? Okay, let's make it work. So another another fun way to think of it, if you don't mind me, I'll throw this one more idea at you, is that you could kind of think of Starfish as having the underpinnings of everybody's unstructured data management software. You know, we've got almost every unstructured data manager, frankly, every file system is basically a metadata system with some processes that interact with it. And in the case of, um, you know, if you think about like backup software, or archive software, or reporting software, or data governance software, there's always a big database of your files and then these processes. So Starfish has just genericized all of that. We made a general purpose catalog 
that handles massive scale and complexity. It has metadata in the form of both uh, key value pairs and simple tagging. It's got the history of the file system over time, just like backup software, you know, you can query for versions and point in time. So it's a pretty diverse index. And then we can do whatever the heck we want in terms of processes that interact with it. So the punchline is that we've kind of developed 95% of everybody's unstructured data manager. And the last 5%, you know, can be whatever bespoke logic our client needs to get a particular job done. That's awesome. I mean, so basically, I think to sum up, we, we had super fast storage. You guys can uh, run your uh, process against and be able to pull the data out. So you have the database, then you can query it. Then we can do work with it by either tiering and moving it or, or cleaning it up report on it and make it actually more useful for customers than just having a giant bucket of data. Yeah. I mean, I'll put some prettier language around that. We synchronize, <laughs> we synchronize the contents of your massive complicated file system into a database so that you can have database goodness and database goodness means you can query, you can have reports, you can have dashboards, you get all kinds of analytics. You could do whatever you want with that information. And then a common thing that people want to use that information for is to drive a workflow or to back up their data or to run archive workflows or to do some kind of processing of their data. So it really is back to the fundamentals of the fine statement, the CSV and the script. We allow you to make really complicated, specific discoveries in a giant file system. And then we allow you to do whatever the heck you want to do with that discovery at whatever scale you need to do it at, right? So wow. the, the bigger the file system, the, the messier the namespace, the greater the value of having Starfish in the ecosystem. That is much prettier than the way. Can you run Doom on it? <laughs> that is much prettier than I said. Josh and I have never been accused of being pretty, so that works out well. Uh, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you could probably make a more articulate elevator pitch for Weka than I can. It's, yeah. But... You know, all day long in my sleep, I'm muttering about Starfish. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, file systems, like <laughs> I mean, like I said, like you, I've been in this game for since the 90s. So it's a lot of file systems. It's it's amazing to see the growth and the change and the and the way that architectures have changed over the years, right? And and the yeah. So I mean, what we get what we get from the historical perspective is that we know that people are always going to have more. <laughs> um, the more powerful file system you give them the further they will do bad behavior. You know, we've seen end users drop 50 million files in a single folder, you know, in a file system that says it supports up to a million, right? And now you guys don't have limitations around that, so your users could do even worse behavior okay. than that. So yeah, I've, I've done that on purpose. So I feel like, you know, my... 400 million files. <laughs> my perspective is simply that I know that the users are going to do what users do. There's always going to be more files. There's always going to be more and multiple storage devices. And you fundamentally, you need tools that can allow you to discover an environment that complex. And then, you know, instead of discovering that, I don't know, 25% of your files are duplicate crap that you could just get rid of, you know, and have to lament the fact that you're stuck with that, you know, instead of being made aware of an unsolvable problem, now we can go take that information and go, all right, well, what's the logical way to clean this up? You know, and it's sometimes it's as simple as, okay, let's just delete every, every additional copy of the duplicate data. That might be a solution. 
but maybe not. You know, maybe there's some copies you keep for a specific reason, or there's some amount of symlinking you could do, or there's some other prevailing logic. Yeah. You know, same thing. Like we we can easily reveal files that are owned by people who don't work in your institution anymore. Well, okay. Well, what do you want to do about that? Do you want to delete them? Do you want to archive them? Do you want to change the ownership to someone who does work there in the organization? <laughs> You know, so we, it's really, it's, it's sort of vital. You, you need the ability to discover and you need the ability to take action and it problem only gets harder every year. I think in our, in our case, it's more about uh, being able to reference data sets, be able to tag them, understand where they are, move them into act, act, actionable areas in the storage and make them useful, right? The, that's going to be the, uh, the bigger win for us. Uh, and then in the case of some of our other customers, um, which are doing multi-tenancy, is the ability to look through the file system and either charge back or at least report on the utilization by different groups within the organization, right? And that's those, yeah. Same back. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, that's term you're looking for you know, char chargeback has been um, a really interesting use case for us because there are, particularly in, in grant-funded research, um, the money comes from grants. And unless you can um, enumerate exactly what you're charging to the grant, and unless you can audit that, um, you can't charge back. Um, but if you can enumerate and audit, you can charge back, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So we've had a number of clients that are, are working through how, how do they map file consumption back to their science, back to their projects, back to their grants. Um, Starfish makes it really easy to do that. And then because we keep the history of the storage system over time, you know, we're, we're able to provide that, that audit log effectively of of what exactly made up those charges. Um, and uh, that's a huge, huge ROI for our clients. We just had a client that I think, you know, pulled a, a million dollar revenue stream in a first year <laughs> chargeback model, you know, that just didn't exist before. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and especially I've been working with the universities and they, they're right now, the researchers are, are sharing it out with multiple groups, but they bought it all on one grant and they know that there's other grants that they can actually tap into. So it, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's kind of funny, you know, when when you think about if you if you look at these POSIX file systems that we've all been using, you know, for the last 40 or 50 years, they were designed a long, long time ago and they've resisted all efforts to modernize them. You know, we find very, very few of our clients even use NFS v4. You know, they're just using NFS3 with all of its limitations because it's it's habit. But you think about how little a file system knows about what you're doing. It doesn't keep track of who did what and when they did it. You know, you've got some crude time and date stamps and there's really no way to query it other than to, you know, run find statements looking for path names and some simple attributes. So the power of just a small amount of metadata, just a grunt or a groan is extraordinary. Like it's the difference between knowing something and knowing nothing. And then of course, the more metadata that you have and for the different purposes that you have it, the, the better you're able to communicate you know, whatever the intent is that you have for your files. And, you know, we've taken that one step uh, further, which is that, you know, we've extended our interface to allow sort of the super user out there in, uh, you know, among your storage consumers to participate in storage management. And then our, our roadmap is over time to get individual users into Starfish, presumably for discrete tasks. You know, today Starfish is a Swiss army knife that a storage administrator can do anything with. Um, but, you know, tomorrow it might be very specifically uh, a data cleanup tool for a very specific kind of user who has a very specific kind of data to clean up in a very specific way. That's awesome.
Well, it's super exciting to hear about how how far Starfish has come in the, in the 10 years since inception and the six years since I kind of was last using it. And, um, you know, great to hear about the kind of interactions and the ways that we can all kind of work together here, make make it, make it so the customers can can store and, and access incredible amounts of data at incredible speed and still be able to manage that data and know what's where and why and if it even <laughs> should be. So, Jacob, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate the conversation. And I uh, hope to hope to uh, have you again soon and hope we can uh, work together more in the future. Yeah, I think Josh and I both. Well, Josh, thank you for having yeah, me. I think we both uh, have a couple ideas of where we want to uh, work with you in the next couple of weeks anyway. So we'll be reaching out to you and hopefully some of our uh, other listeners will have the same concept. So we'll see how it goes. All right. Well, cool. All right. With that then, thanks for listening to Cluster Conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Bob. And I'm Jacob. And we'll hear you next time.